Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Today's story comes from Sharon Brewster. Sharon is the Chief Brand and Creative Officer at Brewster Branding, a creative agency specializing in helping businesses connect with customers. She is passionate about business innovation, growth, and entrepreneurship. Merging brand strategies, creativity, technology, and a psychologically nuanced technique, Sharon collaborates with business owners and entrepreneurs to develop a personalized, purposeful, and recognizable brand that some would consider their first true reflection in copy. Using web, social media, print, and audience segmentation, Sharon designs with a supportive and inclusive approach to help clients achieve their business goals and life goals. Enjoy the listen. Let's just jump in. Sharon, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and what we're gonna, what brought us here today? All right. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. I'm really excited to be here talking to you today. And so my name is Sharon Brewster. I am the owner and founder of Brewster Branding, and we are a creative agency that builds, builds brands to build businesses. So... Um, So with that, a little bit about me. I'm originally from the Boston area. Our business is located in Randolph, which is in the South Shore, um, just outside of Boston. And, you know, a fun fact about me is I love all things mid-century modern. I love all things related to Mad Men. And I really live the life of someone who loves branding. So my world is all about creativity and really supporting clients and anybody I meet, um, supporting them and helping them cultivate their brand and taking like the creative things that they kind of have in their mind. So the things that swirl around in their mind, like I really want to do this. I want to launch something different. That's what I help people do. So that's, that's who I am. Well, thank you very much for joining this morning. I mean, I'm going to have to start off on the mid-century modern uh, area that you, that you talked about. Obviously, as you know, I live in Seattle, Washington, and I think there's a lot of mid-century modern out here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, It's very much an influence of the style and look and furniture and all those things. So my first question to you is, what drew you to mid-century modern? Have you always had that style and and affinity since since you've grown up? 
I have. So I've always admired the Brady Bunch house. Like I've just loved, <laughs> I've loved that house. Um, I, I love the staircase. I don't think I could have that staircase because I'm always afraid, like what if I miss a step and fall through it? But visually, aesthetically, I loved everything about it. The, the incorporation of stone inside of the property, um, the father having a den off to the side. I love homes that from the outside looking in, you don't really know what the layout is going to be. Right. And I don't I like the unpredictability of um, mid-century modern. So when I drive by a house and I see, you know, a, a type of house that I'm familiar with and I can figure out like, oh, the living room is here and the bathroom is there. I don't like that. What I love about mid-century modern is you can walk into the house and there's going to be just some sort of statement piece or an area. There's not a traditional plan for where you know where you're going to go where you're going to end up it could be a pool in the living room <laughs> you know you just don't know what what to expect so that's what i love about it and i think i bring that into design as well like i don't think that there should be um a mandated flow i think it's about the user experience and i feel like mid-century modern just does that and also the the pieces like the time period that the things were created um, they're definitely built to last. So we have a mid-century bathroom in our house and it will not break. There's no reason to update it because nothing breaks. <laughs> so, you know, so our kids have grown up with, with having a medicine cabinet and I'm sure their friends are like, what is a medicine cabinet? Right. But nothing about the thing is um, losing functionality. <laughs> so I can't justify destroying it <laughs> at all. It's so interesting that you talk about the Brady Bunch house because I think as people listen it will bring them right back to that visual, right? Those of us that watch that show and many people probably watch that show know exactly what you're talking about. The staircase where the kids were on it, you know, the famous picture of the entire family on the staircase, the den, you know, Mike Brady's den off to the side. I, I also remember um, the openness of that house. Now, granted, it was a, it was a, um, obviously it was a stage that, that, that they're filming on for the uh, TV show, but when you go into mid-century modern homes, it is, to your point, there's a lot of openness in, in it. As you said, there can be anything in the middle of the house, um, from an art piece to a, to a swimming pool, right? Um, and, and I'm curious, was that always something, like you said, from the outside, you don't really know what it's going to look like on the inside. But is it a fair statement to say that most mid-century modern homes and design includes that openness when you go in? Is that open concept generally um, a commonality in that style? So from what I've seen and what I've reviewed, it's, it appears to be um, something that is known for that style. Um, so if you watch Mad Men, um, the home that Don had with his family, each area was like boxed in. And um, then when you're like looking at when he's in his second marriage and it's a mid-century um, modern like I'll call it a pad right because they were they were in the penthouse um, apartment there's a huge open open space and then there's this new show out on HBO um, where um, it's about uh, it's kind of like a mobster kind of series and the, the, the guy he comes home and there's a sunken sunken living room space and the whole area, and, and Don's living room was the same way. It's just one big space. And then there's these other rooms that are off to the side. Still spacious in themselves, but ideal for entertaining. Um, I just love the built-ins. The natural wood is incorporated. So, yeah. So, definitely, it's part of that that look. I love that um, 
it's we're doing it again now where everyone's removing walls. Um, so it's interesting to know that we're kind of, you know, it's a boomerang effect. <laughs> you know, it's coming back. If you can find a mid-century modern piece and tear your walls down, you're in business. Yeah, it was interesting when you were describing that and I thought about that. I'm, I'm reminded of a childhood home I actually lived in in um, Irvine, California. And I don't think it was necessarily built to be what you describe, but we had a living room that was sunken in. That was a big open space, exactly like you described. And we had a staircase that wasn't quite the Brady staircase, but if you imagine the staircase that goes up halfway and then bends and goes the other way, and they yep. had those, there was the, the, the spaces in between each step, as you describe, right? And as a child, I used to go under those stairs and pretend that I was like a, a monster, like a sea monster, and that was my cave. And when people would go up the stairs, I would grab their, I would grab their ankles, you know, as like the, the adults went up the stairs. And the other thing we had, which I, which I remember, was almost like a, I think it's called a catwalk, which is where it goes from the stairs all the way across that big open space back to where the bedrooms are. And so on both sides, you've got a drop-off, uh, oh, railings yeah. and a drop-off. I think it was called a catwalk. I, I don't know if that's a technical term, but it's so, like that memory is so vivid for me because of how open the space was and how as a child, it almost looked like a playground. Now, it exactly. wasn't a playground because you, <laughs> you were never allowed to, like, hang off the rails and things. But but it was a little bit of a playground as I as I kind of, you know, would would hide out under the stairs. And it was almost as as if it was this secret layer where I could see everything that was happening. But nobody could see me, which they they could. But, um, yeah, I just remember that as you described that that all kind of came back to me. Got you. That, see, that's what I like about that space. I love spaces that are interesting, that are inventive, um, that bring in some level of innovation and functionality. Um, I feel like our living spaces should be an experience and an expression. Um, I, I, I think it's just good for us um, emotionally to be surrounded by that. Um, I think it does something for us. And there's times that I've been in spaces and I thought, oh, I wish my kids were younger when they experienced seeing these spaces because they would have had that lens that you just talked about. There's a certain age of, of, you know, that we are when we're eight, we're at the peak of our creativity because of how we see the world and what's possible. Um, so there's spaces, like I thought, oh, if the kids were like, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, it'd be great if they saw it then. As teenagers, they're experiencing things and they're like, oh, this is cool. But, you know, I think when you're younger, it's really more fascinating. Also the the ratio, everything being everything so much seems bigger. much bigger. Yeah, that that, yeah. that catwalk <laughs> from from the from the floor up seems so high to me. And I'm sure now <laughs> I'd look at it and be like, oh, that's really not that high. But when I was up there looking down, it seemed like a, a world away. And when you're down there looking up, it seemed like a world away. I agree with you. I mean, the time I lived in that house was basically from I think around age three to around age five. So that would have been right about the time that you know as a child you're kind of exploring the world in that way gotcha yeah one of the things i'd love for you to kind of talk about you just hit on it a little bit is this um this aspect of as you describe psychologically nuanced technique and design because it should create an emotional experience when you're in a space and when you design things you do a lot of branding for folks as well and and so i would love for you to talk a little bit about when you come up with strategies and you come up with, you know, technology and creativity, 
what is it like what do you focus on to make sure that it's as you describe a psychologically nuanced technique that stirs emotions in people oh i'm happy to talk about that so you can just extend the time all right let's go (laughs) so and these are i wouldn't call these trade secrets but this is something that i that I do and that clients tell me, you know, this is working for their business. So the way we dive into psychologically nuanced design, let me backtrack a little bit. Part of my background is in mental health. So I have a master's in marriage and family therapy and a deeper understanding of brain development than say the average person that is putting together a color palette. So I'm looking at um, the emotion that we're trying to evoke, the decision we want the end user to make. And I start off with the audience. So who are we talking to? And every piece that we make starts off with the audience and also with the application and the size, right, of what the the end product needs to be. And so I ask a lot of questions of the person, you know, about their business. I ask the, the, the client themselves where they're at emotionally in the process, because if they're not in a good space to launch a business, grow a business, I kind of want to work on that first because as we're building brands we're building authentic sustainable brands so if i find out the person i'm doing branding for isn't authentic then it kind of you know (laughs) it comes back to me it's egg on my face about you know who the person is so i really want to have a deep understanding of who we're representing as an agency and then we're looking at okay well who's your target audience and a lot of times our clients they find themselves or there's a reflection of themselves and who they're trying to work with. So helping people identify, is that really true? Are you really within your target audience or do should we really be looking beyond that? And then once we land there, then we start developing the personas to figure out, okay, well, how would this type of person respond in this situation? You know, what headlines catch their attention? What colors evoke certain emotions that will cause them to make a decision? So when you think about food, you know, you're going to go with like reds and warmer colors. When you think about um, loss and grief, you're going with neutral tones and grays. And if you're thinking about, you know, new, new things, new life, new brands, new systems, you're going with oranges and yellows and really bright, you know, summer-like colors. So we help clients kind of, you know, do that aspect as well. But we look at, we take that deep dive into the emotion and like, where is the person's brain development? Like, how old is your client? How young is your client? So some of our clients, their target audience, you know, starts at age 48. So we're looking at, well, what's the mindset of a person who's making um, second second career choices and you know planning for um, aging parents versus someone who's launching a business and you know they're 23 and, and they, they have a different lens and different set of goals altogether and responsibilities and what are their clients going to respond to then there's this space where it kind of doesn't matter who the founder is or who who the who our client is what matters is only what their audience perspective is someone could be 72 and their target audience is 25 and so we're doing this you know that same level of work to target okay who is their audience let's be effective in talking to them and you know let's get some feedback from folks as well so that's something that we you know we definitely weave into the process and you know we build relationships with our clients um so we're not you know just working with someone for you know two weeks and we're done And there are times that a project is very quick, 
But then there's also, but ultimately we build relationships where people are coming back to us as their business is growing. So, you know, they get that we understand the mindset of their clients and it's also a lot of research. So if it's industry specific information, a good chunk of work that we do up front is around research. So we understand how people may respond to things. I, I'm fascinated by what you're talking about, this aspect of coming into branding and design with the, with the background and skill that you have in counseling and family therapy and the ability to hold and, and nurture people's emotions through experiences as, as they grow in life is pretty fascinating. I, I'm curious, I imagine, this is just my thinking, that's pretty rare, that combination. Are there, are there people you've encountered uh, in your work that have similar backgrounds um, in terms of understanding, you know, psychology and counseling that have brought it to the experience of design and branding in people's life? I, I imagine it's a very unique and powerful combination. I haven't met anyone that's really doing it at this level. It might be incidentally that I think I've run into maybe one person that we've had a similar track where we've had different types of studies but nothing that it's woven into the fabric of how the organization operates. Like I really do an intake as if I were taking in a client, right? And it's not just like, hey, you want a, you know, you want a business card? Let's check the box, give me the, the information and here's, here's your card. It's more like, well, how, you feel, how do you feel about it? When people, when you give this card to people, what feeling do you want to evoke? So I have this, I have an option for like thick velvety cards, right? Or if you're somebody that needs a more rugged card because you tend to destroy half of them in your wallet. I have cards that work for, for that for that case. And then I have cards, I call them playing cards. So my business cards, because at one point I was giving out so many, I have them like playing cards. So I don't feel like, oh, if I give this person my card, I'm crushed because I only have nine left. Like I ordered with the intent that, you know, I, I'm going to go to an event and give out 50 cards and if, if I find 25 of them on tables, then that's just what it is. But the people who call back or the people that reach out or that I connect with, it was meant for me to make that connection with them. And I, I think psychologically, that's a piece, that is a huge piece of our business is that, you know, like I tell clients, you're not out there to get everybody. You're out there to get the people that really want to work with you and you have something to offer them like you're able to bring a solution to them as well you know and that you're adding value and you're supporting them so that they can help their clients be the hero in their situation so I'm kind of like the Jiminy Cricket of design right like I'm guiding people through a certain process so that they can guide their clients through whatever it is that they need as well and I'm learning about everything our clients do so that I can help them better articulate their work, right? So a lot of times people know what they do, but they don't have a sales pitch. So I'm helping them develop and write that 30 second speech and getting more comfortable about it. And it's not uncommon that some of our clients, they cry in the sessions. And I don't do things to make them cry, but that's where that psychology piece comes in because I'd rather them, and I say, it's it, this is a safe space, so it's better to do that with me, then you get flustered at an event and you go walking off and you're like, oh my goodness, you know, I, I just missed this opportunity. So I ask people, it's worth taking a 30 minute meeting and letting it run over, as long as it's not impacting another meeting, letting it run over, get through the emotion, 
and really get the content out that's deep within the person, right? Sometimes they they don't they don't feel comfortable giving themselves permission to be successful. And you know, I'm like, well, well, let's remove that barrier so that we can better brand who you are. Because deep down, you know who you are. You just need someone to give you permission, mainly yourself. So one of the things we do is when we take a deep dive in meetings, they run over with good intent because what happens is we're getting to a point that we're taking a deeper dive of what the client's goals are and helping them give themselves permission, right, to go to that next level as they brand themselves. And a lot of times folks feel a little bit locked in, either from their past, what other people have told them, you know, you can never be a CEO, you'll never run a team. You know, we don't see the the business or the company doesn't see you as leadership potential, right? Oh, no, we just need you to keep the trains moving. And then insert innovation, insert a pandemic, insert all the things that drive us to independence, or that deep down knowing I should I should be running my own business, right? And then when I meet with people, they're coming in and they need to unpack that baggage, right? But they think they're coming into a branding session, which is truly what it is. But as they start talking, I hear these I hear these clues where they're unsure. And my role as the person who's helping them bring out their brand and their goals is to give them permission. And ultimately, they need to give themselves permission. But I kind of open a door to that by asking questions. And when I hear those clues, I'm, I, I try to free them from what someone might have told them in the past. Like, you are absolutely a boss. Like, being a boss, is, it's trendy now. But beyond that, you are an innovator. You, you are a disruptor, right? And a disruptor is a good thing. You know, Uber is a disruptor to the taxi industry, which created a lot of jobs. And so a lot of our clients are disruptors and they have the potential to do great things in their respective industries or develop new ones. And so I give them, I help them give themselves permission. Ultimately, I'm just facilitating that in the, in the branding discussion and helping them take that deep dive into, well, why am I holding myself up? Like, why don't I think I have the right to be as successful as the next person? And if you take away the next person, because there's no need to compete with other people. But why can't I be my full 100% successful self, right? You don't have to um, kind of dumb. If, you, if you're in an environment where you feel you have to dumb yourself down, that's not the right environment for you, you know? And so if there's nothing else that someone takes away from this podcast, I would say that again, if you're in an environment where you feel you have to shrink down or kind of play down your ideas or let me just play nice in the sandbox. You should play nice in the sandbox from the sense of collaboration, but not to the point of suffocation, right? If they're putting the sand over your face and you can't breathe, that's not playing nice in the sandbox. That's just being complicit with, you know, with something that's not good for you. So I, my thing is I love to help people um, feel like they have the permission and the right to launch and launch properly. And for some people, it's very, very quick. And then for other people, it takes a little bit of time. And the time that it takes is things that are necessary, you know, creating the elements for their business, um, creating the assets for their business, doing market research, confirming that there is an audience. Right. So there's certain things people want to do. And I'm like, you know, let's make sure there's an audience before you invest, you know, all these all, all of these funds into something that's not viable right now. 
Um, and then um, other people, there's they have like five things they want to do. So I try to talk to them about, well, what's that one thing that people come to you for? And that one thing that they come to you for, let's lead with that because we know that we can help you build your following. Then you can focus, then you can focus some energy down the road on those other four things. And that could be more supplementary. I would, I like to help people understand you. It's okay to have five streams of income. It's okay to have five businesses. The key thing is organization. If you can set one model up successfully and be focused on that, you can leverage that those what you learn from that first one into the additional ones. Because when you really follow successful people, they're in multiple industries. You know, if someone's in the music industry, they're also in the tech industry and they may be in the travel industry. And as a regular everyday person, you can do it too. It's just a matter of being organized and doing it. And so the lessons that we learn from people who are successful in that, they're known for one main thing, but then it's like, wow, I didn't know that they do this also. So like Whoopi Goldberg has a cruise ship that's very successful, but most people know her through comedy or they know her from being a TV host or they they know her from a particular movie or a few movies, several movies, because we're talking about Whoopi here. <laughs> so, you know, but if you didn't know she owns a cruise ship that's been so successful, it's been the model of how to run a cruise ship. You know, you just, you might be learning that today. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, there's so much I'd, I'd love to unpack here. First of all, I love the fact that you described yourself or others describe you as the Jiminy Cricket of branding, because there's this aspect of Jiminy Cricket in, in the in the Disney movie Pinocchio and that line, let your conscious be your guide. And one of the things I, I'm picking up on that you're talking about is there's so much inner work that people have to do. Like when somebody approaches starting a business or design even a business card, like you said, or a website. I think what's really interesting is, as you've described, inside people have a very clear picture of who they are and what they want. Somehow, this is just my hypothesis, somewhere between people ideating on it and then going out into the world and actually investing in something, usually a little bit of that self, a little bit of that shine, a little bit of that shimmer, gets lost because, as you said, we're up against pressures that say, you can't be a boss, you can't own your own company, you can't do that. And somewhere along the way, those 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 shoulds, those coulds get, get in our head and they stop us from being our fullest self. And what you're saying, what I want people to really hear in this is, you're a boss. Like everyone listening to this should take away the aspect of you have the the potential, you have the power, you have the passion. And when you work with someone that does branding, such as yourself uh, and design, part of your work, as I'm hearing it, Sharon, is to bring that out in the person in a way that maybe they could not do on their own or that some of their doubts would take over. So to me, it's so much inner work as it is outer work. I mean, eventually it'll get on a website. Eventually it'll be on a billboard. Eventually it'll be on a business card. But man, there's there's a lot you just talked about that that probably is very exciting for people who've never really had the opportunity to have somebody believe in them. That is a big piece. Like you do. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Believing in people, I think that is a big piece. If you know one person believes in your business model and your plan, sometimes that's all you need. And then it, you know, it just kind of gets things rolling from there. And you're right. You know, we get there sooner than later. Like we're really focused on you know, we're talking now about the psychological side and the emotional side. 
But the big, um, the big work that we do in terms of the brand and the elements, um, you know, making the website, we, t- we talk about the look and the feel a lot, right? Like that phrase comes up repeatedly as we're building a brand for people and all the elements, the places that their brand is going to go. And I try to let people know that your brand is what people say about you and your brand is what's in the room when you're not there. It's your reputation. It's actually your brand is your number one employee that's not on payroll. It's going to cost, it's going to cost you, but it's not like, it's not on payroll, you know, (laughs) but it's definitely, you know, worth the investment. Right. (laughs) So, um, you know, and I, and one thing I would just leave with people as well is that your brand, it's beyond the elements. It, It really is. It's beyond the elements and you can create all of these like great materials with a company but at the end of the day, it comes down to what people are saying. And so, you know, that's why we're helping people build authentic, sustainable brands. And we take a deep dive and, and do reflections, you know, even, you know, myself, like I look at, okay, where are we, where are we doing good? Where can we improve? And that's a constant everyday thing where it's, okay, where can we improve? What do people need? Um, and I would just encourage people to think about that and give themselves permission to be successful. You know, you're get, once in a while, things are going to happen, but the brands that persevere through different things are the brands that last, you know, that make it a hundred years, that make it 75 years, that become multi-generational, you know, and I think that that's one of the things I like to leave with people. Yeah. I mean, there's so much in like the power of intention, as you described too, which is just sitting down and having people give themselves permission to a reflect uh, and then, and then B set an intention. And, and what's really interesting to me, I think is that oftentimes we skip that work. Like if we're going to go spin up a website or go do, do a design piece, a lot of times, as you described, we jump right into the elements, right? I want the brand kit. I want the colors. I want the fonts. This is all going to make me feel better. Why does it make you feel better? Why does that font make you feel safe? Why does that color make you feel creative? Why, like you described some of that in, even in, in our food palettes, right? The way we move through the world. So I, I just think it's such a powerful um, intersection of what you're talking about. And, and, and as people listen, I have no doubt there will probably be people that are listening that are starting their own businesses that are probably saying, you know, do I just order my next set of business cards through a Vista print or something like that? But but I encourage people listening to really spend that time like you're talking about. Um, have a conversation with yourself based on your intention, based on your values, based on who you've always wanted to be, because the brand is is a living, like you you said, an extension of, of who you are in this world. Um, and it's 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 who's left in the room when you leave the room. Um, and, and what is that intention you want to put in, in the world? Um, which I, I just think it's such powerful stuff. It's not something I necessarily would have thought about naturally when I think about design and branding. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I'd love to pivot to Mad Men (laughs) now because (laughs) you and I discussed before you are a huge Mad Men fan. Um, and, when we talked last time, we talked a lot about the dynamics of the characters. Obviously, the set, mid-century modern, the 50s, the clothes, the, the gender dynamics. Um, we'd love for you to, to, to talk a little bit about why Mad Men grabbed you like it did um, and what you've learned from it and, and what you continue to take from it. Because I believe I watched 
the first season. Um, I didn't continue. I probably need to. And I imagine if I go back and watch it now, knowing all the things you shared with me, I will see everything differently. But would love for you to, to expound upon that because no doubt there's probably a few listeners that also loved Mad Men. Well, so when the series was on, it grabbed me. I The first time I saw it, I didn't understand why they picked um, John Hamm as the lead actor. That is the first thing. I, I did not see the value of his acting the very first time I saw it. I watched it, thought, this is cool. And I went on to the next thing. And then I heard people talking about it that I was working with. I'm like, man, this show sounds really good. I'm going to give it another chance. I went back and watched it again. And John Hamm delivered on, and I'm saying him as the actor. I know the role, the character is Don Draper. So he takes, he just embodies a fantastic creative director, the creativity. And he he delivered lines and he was doing um, a presentation. And the way he kind of, he grabbed the emotion, he commanded the room. Um, he had to kind of shift what was going on because the presentation wasn't going to, you know, initially how he, how he planned, but he kind of saved the day, right? So I'm seeing a creative director save the day. So of course that pulls me in. And so I, I get beyond seeing John Hamm as an actor playing, playing this guy in a different time period to really just falling for Don Draper as the creative director. The other thing that I really loved is that it's easy to have a show where you have a lead character and everybody else is supporting. But in this instance, there were so many lead characters and you saw each of their development. So Peggy being his assistant the safe way would be Peggy has a crush, Peggy loves Don, and she becomes like the assistant who's infatuated with her boss, and it's just like this, you know, long-standing affair. Not at all. So to see her, you know, to see him initially reject her, like, no, you know, like she tried to take his hand, and it's like, no, we're professional. Even though Don was the antithesis of professionalism through the whole series, but to see him understand her value, like, no, you know, you're you're different. There's something about you and then seeing her character, you know, take on its role, seeing Joan become a partner down the road, how she becomes a partner might be a little different, but the fact that she stayed the course, like I'm going to get to where I want to be no matter what. And the decisions that she made. um, And then Pete's character, you know, that actor was so committed to the role. Like he was getting in front of his, his natural hairline shaved so that his character could age. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, you know, I don't know. I, I love design and I would probably take that risk if I was him too for that particular particular role. <laughs> now that I think about it, I, I absolutely would. Um, but the mid-century modern piece, the way the details of everything, the way they brought in samples of real um, real brands during that period, you know, the show is just that one big case study for amazing design during that period. It really is. And then it's just woven in with all ty- types of um, salacious stories to just keep you entertained, which it, it does. But you know, to hear how each, um, how the brand pitch is done, it's textbook perfect. And then when it goes wrong, it goes wrong in a way that if a pitch goes wrong in real life, that is typically how it rolls out, right? And the team is frustrated. Um, I have literally learned from that show to jump out of bed and write down an idea because there's an episode where someone doesn't write down an idea and they wake up and they're like, where is it? And they're looking through papers and they're moving furniture. 
And I've been there. And so now if I have an idea and I'm asleep, no matter what, I will run downstairs. If I don't remember to bring something upstairs to write with, I will run down, write down everything about it. If it's a dream, I write down the color palette that's in the dream. When I dream, my dreams aren't always audible, even if the, or it's not audible to the point that it's significant, but the colors and what's happening in the dream means a lot. And if I'm in and out of sleep and I'm just getting ideas and it's kind of like downloading in my brain, and this is why I tell clients, even if we don't have a meeting on the books, let's still stay in touch because when I'm ideating or when I'm seeing things in the world, the next time we meet, I will have things that's already kind of germinating in my mind so I can just, you know, flow with you a little bit faster rather than me do the research after we meet. I can constantly be thinking of things. But Mad Men has really shown me like a lot of things along that line. And I was making a lot of moves and changes professionally myself when I was watching a series. And I was, I would joke around and say, it's, it's kind of like therapy for creatives, you know, <laughs> there's like, cause it addresses the pain points. It is entertaining. And, you know, I was making certain jumps and moves and, and, and leaps <laughs> literally as I'm, as I'm watching Don kind of free fall in his career. Like I watch him kind of, you know, peak and then he, you know, he goes some different directions, but that's, that's par for the course when you're a creative and just seeing how, you know, either he chose to change with the times or not change with the times. But what I liked about Don is, you know, he, he knew his value. He didn't know a lot. There's a lot of things he didn't know about himself. But one thing he did know was his value to the point where he said, I'm not, you know, I'm not under contract. And that that part of the series, I was like, wow, you know, he he was probably like um, the only person on the show that kind of had the rest of the company jumping through hoops. And I'm not saying that that should be a goal to be that person that's, un, you know, the un, the untamable horse. Right. <laughs> and this and, you know, because that's kind of what Don was and sometimes that wasn't to his to his benefit um in the series but there was just a lot of learnings in that show um i think it was you know the acting was excellent the writing the writing is really what you know what drew me in um and i brought so many books on Mad Men, and i think i told you i had someone from another country contact me about content in a book that they couldn't access and she needed it for you know some work that she was doing so internationally people are using it as an academic resource and, you know, teachers are encouraging their students to, you know, check it out as a resource. So that's very, um, that's very telling as to the, the level of detail that show is in. I can't say enough good things about it. I do have um, unopened boxes. I have a collection of all the dolls, um, or I would say my favorite characters, right? So my, the, the main characters. Yeah, there's like these, I, I forget what they're called, but they're these like, mini dolls and they're all styled after each character so I, I got um you know all the main ones that I like and you know I've been shopping on the television show because you can buy certain things that you know that's originally from the set so there's limited things left but you know I'm, I am looking for like just something it doesn't have to be anything big but just to say I have it from the show I mean it's so interesting because I remember from just again just you know, confession here. I only watched one season. I need to go back and watch more. But the thing I really liked about it is how they conveyed how much emotion went into a brand pitch and understanding. And I think there was an episode, and you can keep me honest here, where they were actually, the, the client was Kodak. And Kodak had the the slide chrome thing. Like it was basically the slide reel where the, the 
you know, the slides would go in and, and they were trying to, to make it uh, something that people would buy. And I forget who it was, whether it was Don or Joan. It might have been Joan who saved the day on this one, I think. It came in and, you know, it's, it's the late night. You're trying to come up with the concept. It's not working. And they're looking at this very clunky slide reel kind of thing. And it's, it looks like a piece of machinery. And how, is it, how are people going to create an emotional attachment to it? And then they do the pitch that next morning and they're going through the slides and it's pictures of family. And essentially what ends up happening is that narrative is created in that room as they as they capture it, which becomes the narrative for families across the world. When you set up the slide reel and you pull down the screen in the living room and you do the, like, let's look at our vacation pictures, that became the beginning of what is so familiar to every family. And just watching that conveyed in a show like Mad Men, where, is, where you see the seed where it's planted and how much you know, you can have all the markers and posters and tools and all you want, but if that emotional connection is not there, it won't take off. And I loved the way they did that. I love the way they simplified that to such a succinct point that you now think of brands very differently. When you go in, you say, I wonder how much work went into this to get it so that it evokes this emotion in me. And I love that. Like, there's a neuroscience in there. There's a psychology in there. There's anthropology in there. I mean, if I could stack the Mad Men office of today, I would have neuroscientists, anthropologists, sociologists, you know, and that's that's a lot of what goes into this uh, work, which I find so fascinating. So I appreciate you walking me and others down Mad Men memory lane here because I think I might need to pick it back up. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you draw a, a really important point. A lot of times people see the end result, right? They're like, well, it's not really that many words, you know, that are on an advertisement. It's one big picture, headline, you know, if it's online, an, an action button. But that, to get to that point, is has likely been a team um, of at minimum three people and however many get, get involved. And then the process in the background and then all the versions you don't see and all the writing that it takes to get to that point. And the show really brings that together because people see, they see Dawn save the day. They see, um, they see Joan save the day, right? But what the client doesn't see in the room, like Roger might be in the room because he's Roger <laughs> and he's just, he's just there, right? But what they don't see is they don't see Kinsey and they don't see, um, they don't see the things happening and, and them staying up all night and, you know, writing and writing and trying to come up with things and ideating and and 30% of what you ideate is just useless because, you know, you, you have to push through that point. You have to push through the obvious that the client may have come up with to what's going to resonate and put them head and shoulders above, you know, other brands. And there's like some real um, things that they use about putting a stake in the ground about who your business is. And a lot of times I refer to Mad Men when I'm talking to clients, like, you need to put a truthful stake in the ground about who your business is. And you have to kind of own that, own that space and, and stay there um, within your industry. And it's okay to do that. And that's a big piece about giving yourself permission. I think that's what I most take away from Don. Don always gave himself permission to be who he felt he wanted to be. We all know Don's character. He took someone else's identity. But did he, he took it and he elevated it. That's the crazy thing. Like he created a brand entity in itself. Don himself is the brand. <laughs> and the real Don is really, you know, non-existent. But 
um, you know, I have a certain level of compassion for the character, but I just, I love what he became. I really, you know, I, I do. It's sad how he got there, but I'm glad he did get there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's fascinating to, to think about today's day and age and everything that's happening with social media um, and the way that the television has changed, the way we consume media has changed. I think it's pretty fascinating. Um, as we wrap up here, I would love for you to share where people can get in touch with you, because as you've discussed and as you've heard me kind of recount and I think other people kind of hear in my voice, what you're doing is really unique, Sharon. And it like I get I get goosebumps because I think in a good way, like you're not just helping people brand and 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 design, you're helping them find themselves and move through the world in a more celebrated, inclusive, uh, conscious way. And I appreciate that. So I would love for you to share where people can get in touch with you and uh, do some work with you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. So sure, a great way to get in touch with me is directly through our website, boosterbranding.com forward slash portal, P-O-R-T-A-L. You can check out the website. If you go to the portal, you're able to schedule 30 minute blocks of time and you get to talk with me. Um, We can have a Zoom and I'm happy to you know, go over, you know, some of these talking points from this discussion and really help someone work with, um, work with them on building their personal brand. Cause that's a lot of what we talked about today. And, you know, I can talk to people sometimes when we build brands, it's for people who are still employed with larger companies. So real estate, you know, people who are professionals in the real estate industry, finance industry, um, because, or even um, the law industry, you know, the legal industry, because these are um, very common fields where people will take their what they learned and then end up launching their own brokerage, right? So helping people develop their brand so they can take their book of business when they're ready, um, you know, on to the next thing, right? So how to grow your brand and you're following through there. So I'm happy to talk to people about, you know, personal branding, branding their business, and, you know, just being a supportive listening ear. I really don't mind doing that. Um, it helps me refine the skills that I have. And in terms of always, you know, using, I like to say I use my art for good. Like it's, it's my, it's, I call it my superpower. And I think of all the bad things that I can be doing, right? But I'm using my, I'm using the power that I have um, for good. And that's just something that, you know, I, I do get enjoyment out of, you know, just helping people in that regard. So check out boosterbranding.com uh, forward slash portal. Um, on the website, of course, you can see our work, but I would love to just chat with anybody who wants to build their brand. Thank you so much for sharing your origin story with us. That's the thing I tell people all the time. We we have our superpowers. Uh, we are our own, you know, heroes. Um, but all those start with an origin story. So I really appreciate you sharing that origin story. Uh, I love that you call it a superpower because it is. You're using good to change people's lives. You're the Jiminy Cricket of design and branding. I'm totally going to take that. <laughs> Let your conscious be your guide. Um, and I might have to watch that Disney movie this weekend. But thank you so much, Sharon, for the time. I really, really, this is a great way to start a morning, start oh. my start my Friday. <laughs> thank um, you. Thank you for your time and really appreciate it. And uh, can't wait to echo the story. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And it is a great way to start the morning. 